You're listening to the Real Estate Runway Podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. All right, Real Estate Runway family, welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Sutton, and I'm joined today with Hunter Jones. Hunter is a dear friend of mine. We've done a couple of transactions on the buy-sell side, being on the opposite sides of the table and became friends, believe it or not. So Hunter is a former multifamily investor who turned into a self-storage investor. So I can't wait to hear about that. I know this because I bought most of his multifamily assets. He does focus mainly on underperforming assets, and he's got a pretty good knack at finding them, you know, things below the radar. So, Hunter, welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Doing well. appreciate you having me on, Chad. Absolutely. We've been trying to do this episode for like, I don't know, three different instances now, and we keep having to kick it for one reason or another. So, I'm glad like a year later, we're finally doing it. Yeah. For one reason or another, it kept getting pushed back. (laughs) Yeah, man. Well, I clearly know who you are, but do me a favor and just kind of go back through who you are and how you became a multifamily investor. Just, you know, what got you to where you are today? Yeah. So my background, I went to school for finance and economics. That was my majors. Went into banking for two years. I was an analyst at a mortgage warehouse bank and learned a lot about the banking industry, but I learned it really wasn't for me. And all along the way, my my brother, who's three years younger than me, was getting into real estate as a freshman or sophomore in college. And I was making fun of him because we didn't come from a business family and he made double my salary his first year doing it. And so I figured he probably knew something that I didn't know. And so it worked out that I was able to quit my job at 24, two years in and come back to Knoxville and form a a new company with Harper and Peter, who you've also had on the podcast as well. And so we started buying a lot of single family houses and we would do a lot of wholesaling uh, since we didn't really have any money. We were so young. And we'd take that money and start buying multifamily properties and we'd take on investors and we bought anywhere from duplexes all the way up to a 35 unit, which uh, I've actually sold to you. (laughs) Yes. And you wish you hadn't actually at this point, but (laughs) I should not have sold it. It turned out to be a very good asset now with values shooting up. So sometimes I drive by and check it out. You guys have done a really good job with it. And I know you guys have taken care of all the tenants and everything. But yeah, that's that's kind of how we got into it. And after that, just kind of explored self-storage. And now I'm really going hard at self-storage with uh, Harper. And now we get to today. So let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, talking about starting from nothing, right? You figured out a way to generate cash and that was wholesaling, right? And maybe doing some flipping along the way as well. You either either wholesale to someone who's going to flip the house or you do it yourself. Generated that cash, had the foresight not to just go blow it, but actually put it into assets. So you guys really were, I mean, you're kind of like we are in a sense that you're looking at things other people aren't really looking at. Like you guys will go buy a six unit or a 35 unit or a 20 unit, you know, maybe talk about why you like those smaller assets as opposed to, you know, trying to syndicate a 200 unit building or something like that. Yeah, that's a good question. And this is previous Hunter. I know new Hunter is self-storage, so we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. I mean, I, I still look at multifamily as well. Like I, I put an offer on a six unit yesterday, so I'll kind of look at anything if it's a good deal. But I like the 
smaller stuff, I would call it sub-institutional because the really big players aren't looking at it. And for individuals like you and I, those assets can be life-changing assets. But to those big institutions, they're too small to move the needle. And they typically don't attract people across state lines. Though these days with how competitive things is, I've been very surprised at who's putting offers on stuff uh, from all over the place. But in general, it's way less competitive. It's very fragmented, individual owners, all mom and pops. There's a ton of opportunity for value add, either through rent disparities, operational advantages. There's so many different opportunities in there. And so that's why we tended to focus on those. I know many people that work in the larger stuff too, and there's tons of money to be made in that as well. But you really have to have connections or work for an institution, I would say, to get to that level. It's a lot harder. Yeah. And the problem is like, you know, you you can go to these events that I've I've been to many of them, right? Where it's like, hey, you can go syndicate this 200 unit asset. Here's the massive cash flow you'll see. But then you get out in the big leagues and you realize, wow, there are about 10 other buyers on this. They all have balance sheets that are a hundred fold what yours is, right? Because they're an institution that, you know, their cost of capital is lower. They can offer higher. And so you're almost never going to win there. And if you do, you're probably going to be stretched to make a profit at all. Whereas over here, you find these assets that maybe they're owned by a family or I mean, just take the one I bought from you. One of the many I bought from you, for example, it was the guy that built it. It was his retirement plan. He just built it over time and and operated it. And he cared nothing about keeping it full or getting rents up. He was traveling the world in his RV or something like that, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. You find assets like that, that have, you can actually buy at a reasonable cap rate with massive meat on the bone. And you guys did so well with it that you sold it to me a year and a half later and I'm still doing well with it. There's so much meat on the bone, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Every, every property we've ever bought, I believe has been from a mom and pop individual. I, I cannot think of any property we've bought from a company or I would say a professional investor. And they've all just been people that either fell into it accidentally, inherited it, or it was just something on the side. And, and that's where I see so much of the opportunity at. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, talking about this whole concept of the five freedoms, right? The first one being financial freedom. Guys, to be financially free, you don't have to make, you don't have to have a million dollars in the bank or make you know, $100,000 a year, you just have to make more than your expenses are, right? I mean, a six unit building, if you own it outright by yourself and run it right, that can do that. You know, that can, that can get you where you need to be. So incredible. Well, let's take that opportunity to segue into self-storage a little bit, because these guys, this audience has heard me talk about multifamily time and time again, but I love when I get to bring people on who have expertise in other asset classes. You guys have recently sold off pretty much everything you have in multifamily. I think you have some small stuff left, but y'all are really focusing on self-storage. What's different and why are you looking there? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And two years ago, I would have told you I would never touch that asset class. And I hated it really because of ignorance and not understanding it. And I mean, to be honest, I'm not your ideal client for self-storage. I don't understand it from a customer standpoint. Whereas with the multifamily, I've always rented. So I'm very familiar with the customer side of that. I I understood the transaction. But the self-storage, I used to really talk down on it. And believe it or not, I started learning about self-storage accidentally on Twitter in mid to late 2020. I, I just started following these random guys on Twitter that were buying up self-storage facilities and talking all about it. 
And I was learning stuff that I just never knew about that asset class, just how much easier it was to run. There's no tenants that live there. So you don't have to worry about those calls at night. You don't have to worry about in the back of your head if the roof's going to collapse in on you know your tenants and stuff. Like Nobody lives there, so you don't have to worry about that aspect, or at least they shouldn't be living there. And it's a lot easier to turn over a unit in self-storage. It's very common that I re-rent a unit in less than 24 hours, if not 48 hours. And, and in housing, you just can't do that. At a minimum, you're having to clean your carpets and, and deep clean the apartment. Every time. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to turn over a unit, I would say in less than seven days is with pre-leasing and everything. There's a lot on the line if you pre-lease and you don't have a unit available. And self-storage is just the opposite of that. So you do have more turnover, but it's much easier to turn them over. The worst we have to deal with is maybe replacing a, a spring on a door or replacing latch. And that stuff can be done very quickly. So that's one thing I like there. It's still is treated like a, a full real estate asset. Historically, that wasn't necessarily true. It was harder to get financing on these things, uh, similar to mobile home parks, I would say, how those have become much more popular now. And it's very easy to finance them. Same thing with self-storage. I mean, we're getting extremely similar terms from our banks to finance these properties compared to the multifamily. The only difference is when you get to the larger assets, you don't have access to like a Freddie or Fannie multifamily loan where you can get those really good rates and terms. You can get CMBS debt on these big ones. It's just not going to be quite as competitive as like those multifamily loans. So that, that's some of the reasons I like like it. It's heavy mom and pop owned still. Yes, the, you see the extra space, you know, big buildings when you're driving down the road. And obviously, those are all REITs and institutions that own those. But when you're looking at a couple hundred units and below, that is heavy individuals and mom and pop owns. It's extremely fragmented. So I believe there's still a large opportunity there across the country to acquire a handful of these. And, you know, it doesn't take very many and it's life changing. So what what is different in the economics of it? Right. So, I mean, if we just in our heads walk down a profit and loss or, or, an you know, kind of an underwriting template, if you start with income and go to expenses, I mean, do you, do you have kind of the same set of economics you would have with an apartment building or how, how does it, how does it look differently when you're actually underwriting and projecting on one of these assets? Yeah. So some of it is similar. Obviously you're going to have management and maintenance on these things, but I find that it tends to be lower if you do it right. I mean, the maintenance definitely is lower. You know, there, there's not much to these things as long as they're in good shape and you, you know, maintain them, you know, with CapEx. But the management, it really depends on how you run it. We, we, we try to run these more hands-off. So we try to leverage technology as much as possible. And that is able to lower labor costs to run these things. And so that's a big difference compared to your multifamily. It's much less, I would say. Your expense ratio varies. I would say you're anywhere from... 25 to 40% expense ratio, the lower side being a very large self-storage property that's newer and really good shape. The one we have, we have about a 12,000 square foot facility. And I would say ours is mid thirties on that size, but I'm also looking at a very large facility right now. And that's like high twenties. And so, you know, multifamily, it'd be very common to be more around a 50%, I would say. So lower expense ratio, gives you a much higher NOI for your revenue and you can really get some high values on these things. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think, you know, you were telling me some differences in a previous conversation we had in the, you know, how you handle non-payment in one of these 
self-storage units versus a multifamily, as well as the percentage of rent increases you can go after, because some of these are so low that, I mean, if you're talking about $375 a month, doubling rent, if that's what it takes to get to market, isn't really, it doesn't feel as as bad as doubling rent on something that's already eight or $900, right? Exactly. And, and, and it's a, it's a auxiliary amenity, right? It's not necessary to life for people. Have you heard about the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit coming up on January 20th? If you've never been, it's a three-day information-packed event for multifamily investors with over 1,000 attendees and over 50 speakers. Not only will you hear from experts about finding deals, raising capital, underwriting strategies, selecting markets, and so much more, but this year, our partners here at Quattro Capital are excited to be participating with three speakers at the event. Our amazing Kim Winland will be speaking on the often neglected subject of asset management, how to make the machine hum. While our most interesting man in real estate, Maurice Philogene, will be speaking on how to leave your corporate job for a freedom lifestyle. I personally will even be speaking on the topic of how to perform due diligence on multifamily assets before you purchase them and the not so common things to watch out for. Go to MFINsummit.com to grab your ticket and use promo code Quattro to get $100 off of your full access pass. Whether you are new to multifamily investing or a seasoned investor, you do not want to miss this event. Join Team Quattro at the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit. Visit MFINsummit.com, promo code Quattro. That's MFINsummit.com, promo code Quattro. So how is that different between multifamily and self-storage? Yeah, so in multifamily, if you're if you're running these properties correctly, I would I would argue that you should be doing long-term leases, you know, typically about 12 months and staggering those out over time. You you know, you don't want to have a risk of everyone leaving all at once. A lot of mom and pop operators will be month to month or let a year lease, you know, transfer to month to month, but but the the real multifamily operators are doing long-term leases. In self-storage, monthly leases is the norm. I don't really ever see long-term leases except for maybe if there's like a really large unit, you know, maybe like 40 by 50 feet climate, like somebody's using it for, you know, business or something. Maybe there's a longer term lease there because it's a little bit harder to lease. But in general, it's all month to month. And personally, I believe that there is a moral and ethical difference between the two asset classes. And I mean, you can go back and forth on whether you believe that housing is a right or not. But there is something to be said about when you give somebody a notice to leave or you increase their rent, you know, they have to live somewhere. And, you know, raising 10%, if, if a rent is $1,000 and you raise it 10%, that's going up $100 on somewhere to live. And that, that impacts people significantly. In self-storage, if you have rent at $60 and you go up 10%, it's $6 extra. And people don't really look as much at the percent. They just look at the absolute dollars. And they're not living there. And like you said, it's it's an auxiliary. It's not a necessity to have self-storage. It's just a it's just an extra thing. So I, that's where I think there's an ethical and moral difference uh, between it. I, I'm not saying go out there and just jack it up as high as you absolutely can above everyone else. Obviously, we're looking at market rates in our areas. But you typically find that people aren't going to leave over a 10% increase as compared to housing, just because of the absolute dollar difference. And if you look at the big REITs as well, it's very common that about every nine to 10 months, it uh, doesn't matter how long you've been there, it actually doesn't matter what the market rate is, they're gonna be raising rent eight to 10% every nine to 10 months. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what the market rate is because they have their own statistics, they know how many people are gonna leave, they know how many people are gonna stay, and they just care about the NOI. So there's a big difference on the economics there between the two. 
That makes sense. And not only is it difficult for a resident to move out of their apartment if they decide, well, I really don't want to pay them what these guys are trying to charge me, right? So that that's inconvenient. But most people who have self-storage units, they have too much junk, right? It's probably packed full of boxes and just stuff they haven't looked at in five, 10 years, right? So the mental issue with going and emptying that place out to go find another one in order to save 50 or or $100, most people aren't going to do it. Yeah, they don't. And and there's all different reasons. Like I would say the, the two main reasons that people rent these are, are one, they just have a bunch of stuff and they honestly need to throw it away, but they're just going to rent a space. And I, I think the average length of term is like 14 months at a self-storage place, I think. But like I have somebody that got, that's been renting ours since 2003, I think. And like that just blows my mind. Wow. Um, but then you also have people that are just moving. It's short term and like they will literally rent it for a month or two. And it's 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 just a quick little tool for them. So I would say those are the two main reasons that people rent the storage. Okay. Okay. Well, that's a fantastic and interesting asset class compared to multifamily. Similar economics, a little bit different motive and ethics, if you will. As we're bringing it around home here, something else that's fascinating about you and your and your investing partners is y'all also have run your own property management company. So you kind of understand this on a different level than a lot of investors do. I'm just curious what, what your thoughts on whether that was a good decision or not, what you learned from it, how it's made you a better investor or not. What is property management and being in that business done for you simultaneous to investing? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I would say, honestly, the big reason we decided to manage in-house was just because of trust. Like, uh, you know, I like control. And so outsourcing to a third party is is hard for me to give up, even though it may be the, the right choice uh, in many circumstances. But I would argue that it was the right decision for us. We were able to learn how to manage these properties. We were able to learn what works, what doesn't work. And we didn't come from a background of property management. I, I just learned from either figuring it out or calling other people that had, had done it before me and they would give us their leases and tell us what works and what's not. And you know, reading all the FHA rules and everything. But when you do your own property management, you learn a lot about maintenance. You learn a lot about tenant issues. You learn about what do tenants want? What do they not want? And so when you go and buy or look at buying other properties, you're able to see these properties in a different way because you have hands-on experience. You may not be the one swinging the hammer, but you're communicating with the maintenance team, the CapEx team, the vendors, the tenants. And there's been properties that I've passed on that I probably wouldn't have known about had it not been from that experience. You also learn what things need to be fixed when you're looking at these properties that need value add. A lot of that has to do with putting money into these to improve them and fix them. And you learn about more of what those costs really are when you're, when you're doing that yourself, when you're reconciling budgets you know, every month, um, when you're the one picking vendors to go with. So there's, there's definitely pros and cons to doing your own property management. I know we're tail opposites. You, I think you've always done third party and we've pretty much all done in-house. Yes. We never got so big that we were able to have a massive team, but I did have a full-time maintenance person. I did have many contractors always working for me. I was in the process of hiring a full-time manager to manage the portfolio right before we decided to sell. And so we were really planning on growing that. And in the self-storage, I plan on doing it in-house as well. I do everything right now. It's honestly really easy. It does not take much time after the first couple of months of buying a property. 
but you're able to build out your own team with with VAs and in-house to run everything remotely pretty easily with self-storage. And honestly, there's not really good third parties in self-storage. With multifamily, you can typically, in, in a decent city, have many options of property managers to go with. But I would challenge you to find any, or if any good, self-storage managers to run these properties. So you're kind of forced into a corner to do it yourself anyways. It makes a lot of sense. And I would even submit that, yes, we've done mostly almost all with multifamily third-party management, but it's it's also pretty hard. Like when you're looking at small assets, it's hard to find good property managers down there as well. You know, so if, yeah, if you're buying your larger, and I'll, I'll even say it's like 50 or 60 units and up, you know, you can get a pretty world-class team, right? And afford to pay them. But, you know, you start looking at six, seven, eight units, you know, it can be hard to, to weed out between, you know, a, a mom and pop company that manages a few houses and thinks they can do multifamily versus an actual firm like we were fortunate to find for the assets we bought from you. Who does this well? But that's even more interesting that, you know, that experience kind of prepared you for the journey in self-storage because you may not have the option to third party if you wanted to, right? Yeah, you, you really don't. I, I All my friends that I know in self-storage, they, they all do it in-house out of necessity. My multifamily friends, it's 50-50, I would say. Yeah. There's pros and cons to each. I, I really don't. There is. Either way is fine. Yeah. I mean, even these big REITs and stuff, they have their all, all the management's in-house. They do it all themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, at, at the end of the day, management is really two things. It's complying with laws, you know, FHA and things like that, fair housing. And it's systems and processes. Whatever it is, you need to have a system and a process and even a, a policy in place for anything that could happen on that property. And that's really what makes a good manager. So the fact that you've done that on multifamily assets where you had things to look at and emulate, right? They kind of prepared you for being able to do this on self-storage and create or identify and create the systems processes and quite frankly, the who's you need to get it done. So I love it. I love it. All right, Hunter, well, you and I could talk for days, man. This is great. But, you know, we only do 30 minute episodes because the mind can only endure what the butt can endure, fellas. Let's go to a couple of questions we like to ask every one of our guests who come on the show. So, Hunter, what is your superpower as it relates to your business? I would say it would have to do with with leasing. I've always been kind of on the operations side of our business. Uh, we all kind of shared hands of everything we were doing, but I was obviously more on the operations. Mm. And when, whenever there's a lease up required, it, whether it's multifamily or self-storage, I love doing the marketing for that and, and leasing up these units. My background is really not sales, but I've really had to learn sales being in real estate. I never, I never thought that sales was really everything. And so I would say leasing is really my superpower with what we do. I don't know why, but. (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we've heard a lot of reasons why you're awesome here, but give me some dirt, man. What's your biggest mistake and what did it teach you? Probably focusing on many different things at once. Like I said, we started with, with wholesaling. We started going into multifamily. We even started looking at commercial properties here and there. And we took down a couple of portfolios, many different dilapidated properties that just needed the most extreme value you could ever imagine. And honestly, it's really stretched us then at times, just focusing on all those things. Like, like the numbers were incredible on an individual basis, but mm. I would argue that buying a property is the easy part. 
like sure getting that financing figuring out the equity going through due diligence all that like that that is really stressful that is tough but that's only the beginning operating these things is really the make or break it you know executing the business plan and when you're stretched then and when you're trying to do many things at once that is really tough or at least trying to do them without a solid team or systems in place and we we've really been having to figure this out as we go and so probably in hindsight if we would have just stuck to exactly just one thing we probably would have been three or four times bigger than we got to just from doing all these things at once and that's still a struggle to myself at this day like i said i offered on a sixplex yesterday because the numbers were really good you know i'm in self-storage looking at all these you know i'll kind of look at anything but in the back of my head i'm like is this can i operationally execute this efficiently knowing what i've learned i luckily have only bought, I would say, a couple bad deals. And luckily, the bad ones were really small. So nothing has really hurt us in a large way. But even those small ones, financially, they weren't the worst, but it was the time, how much time they took to deal with those properties and get rid of them. And so I don't want to do that again. So trying to stick to one thing as much as possible, I think is probably better than sticking your hand in everything. And like I said, that's still a struggle for me. That's so wise, man. And it's it's shiny red ball syndrome, right? And no matter how many, even if you know how to play with the shiny red balls, you can only kick or dribble or throw or whatever that shiny red, one or two at a time, right? You just can't really do that many things. So that's very wise. Well, Hunter, tell us how the audience can best get in touch with you. I know you're very active on Twitter. Is that the best place or is there another way? Yeah. I mean, it, it may sound crazy if you haven't ever dealt with Twitter. In my opinion, Twitter is my favorite social media platform. It is where I have learned the absolute most. There's an incredible real estate community on there. Again, I learned everything about self-storage just from reading tweets from people. I've gotten very involved in there, gotten to meet a ton of great people, I've made a lot of great friends from people on there, have been brought many different deals across the Southeast from people on Twitter to potentially JV on, met many potential people to be investors in deals from there. And I just love talking with people on there. Uh, there's people of all different skill levels, but everyone is treated the same. It's a very open community. People share everything. So if you're in real estate or interested in that, I would highly recommend getting involved in Twitter. My handle is Hunter Jones 23 You can shoot me a DM on there or just look at all the people we interact with. Or you can shoot me an email at HunterAJones at gmail.com. But yeah, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Fantastic. And everyone that will be in the show notes. So no worries if you're driving down the road. All right, listeners, this has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast. Hunter, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. It's always fun to chat. All right. Until next time, everyone, over and out. How is your company managing your capital raising process? Syndication Pro is the number one solution to help real estate syndicators and fund managers automate fundraising, investor relations, and reporting. Syndication Pro is a solution that is trusted by hundreds of firms, large and small, with billions being managed within the platform. Here at Quattro Capital, we have seen a drastic improvement in our ability to provide better customer support to our investors, a co-sponsor module to our alliance partners when partnering on new acquisitions, ACH distributions, an SEC compliance CRM, and even the ability to take soft reservations on upcoming projects. Look for the link in the show notes to try Syndication Pro risk-free for seven days. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.